Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. In times of crisis, our natural thoughts tend towards worry, but Jesus can provide peace. Listen today as Pastor Jeff teaches on how we can cast all our cares on Jesus now and in the future. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Cherry Hills family. What a privilege to share this service with you. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, I just want to ask you, how are you? How are you doing this many weeks into the stay-at-home order? I want to just talk to you today about worry, anxiety. Uh, My name, Jeffrey, that was given to me in the old French means peace. And I've often asked myself, what would it look like if I live my name more and more? Because I've struggled with worry. I've struggled with anxiety. Years ago, as a pastor, there was a man in our church that I deeply respect who I felt like had it all together. And then one day he told me that he had actually had to go to a doctor because he had been a chronic worrier for years. And that surprised me, but it also reminded me that all of us struggle at times with anxiety or worry because we don't know what's gonna happen or we're afraid something is gonna happen. And this may be one of those times for you. If not, I believe that Jesus' words can be encouraging you, encouraging to you no matter what. So. Here's the opening question I want to ask you today. What does Jesus want us to know when we're filled with anxiety? What does Jesus want us to know when we're filled with anxiety? What do I mean by anxiety? Well, the definition of anxiety is this feeling of worry or nervousness or dread or uh, unease. And actually, it can also mean a kind of restlessness. And so when you're going through that, what does Jesus want us to know? And the message today is entitled, Don't Worry. And I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 6, 25 through 34. We're going to look at these 10 verses. And as we do, you can probably see from the outline, if you're looking at the notes, that I want to first talk to you about understanding more about worry and anxiety, just some overview comments. Then I want to talk to you about five questions of what do you really believe? Five, what do you really believe? Questions. Uh, And then also letting God transform our worries. What are some practical things that we can understand when we do find ourselves worrying? So would you mind praying with me as we ask God to be our teacher? Now, Lord, I thank you that we don't have to continue to worry without you helping us know and showing us things that would help us. So I pray you'll meet each one of us in these days and that we'll find that you really can help transform our worries for your glory and for your sake. Amen. First, let's look at understanding more about worry and anxiety. In these verses that I'm about to uh, read to you, I want you to notice something. If you're following along, Jesus says three times in these 10 verses, don't worry, don't worry because it's a choice. Don't worry because it's a choice. In 1988, Bobby McFerrin came out with a song that went to the number one uh, on the charts. It was called, Don't Worry, Can You Finish It For Me? A guy was whistling in the background, don't worry, be happy. Now Jesus here says don't worry in these verses many times, but he goes a little deeper. And what he wants us to understand is that when he says don't worry, he does not mean never, ever, ever, ever worry. What he means is don't worry and keep on worrying. Do something because you have a choice. 
There are some verses in the New Testament that we studied a while back from Luke 10. And in these verses, we see where Jesus addresses someone who was worrying. Her name was Martha. Here's what it says. Jesus and his disciples went on their way. Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha lived. She welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary. Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was busy with all the things that had to be done. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Don't you care? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Really, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So you see here, he says, Mary has chosen something better than worrying, and he wants us to know about it too. The idea here, when he says you're worried and distracted, it means that your mind is divided right now. You, you can't focus. And when you and I worry, we can't focus. The word in the old German for worry actually meant to strangle or choke. And we've all seen how anxiety can actually create physical problems problems that are sending more and more people to the psychiatrist or to the hospital these days. And so we want to learn all we can because it's a choice, Jesus says. It's an approach. It's a strategy. And he wants to talk to us about that. Second, notice this, that worry is about control and who or what has first place in our heart. So if worry is about control and who or what has first place in our lives, the question naturally comes up, Jeff, how do I be responsible? I mean, I have lots of responsibilities. Let me show you this slide here on the screen. Uh, what is the difference between concern and when does it reach a tipping point where it becomes worry? And I would just say to you that what worry is, is over concern or trying to control things that we can't control. But not only that, if you're following along, worry is fueled by lies that we believe. So Jesus reasons with us. That's what we're going to see in this passage is that worry is often fueled by lies or bad news that we've come to believe. That's not true. But Jesus wants to reason with us so that we think it through. You'll notice Genesis 3, 1 through 8. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. They never worried until they started listening to the evil one. And once they did, then they started questioning whether God really cared about them. They started questioning whether or not God was really providing for them. And the same thing happens to us when we begin to let those kind of lies come into our own lives. So what I want you to notice in these verses that we're going to read in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, is that five times Jesus asked a question. We talked about this last fall with compassionate curiosity, is that Jesus has this way of digging where one of the ways that he teaches us and helps us discover things is by asking us questions that probe and dig. And Jesus asked five questions here in these verses, as I've already mentioned. And so as we come to this, I want you to see that I'm going to ask five, what do you really believe about questions that come out of this text? Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So here's the first of the five questions of what do you really believe about? It's like Jesus is saying, look, what do you really believe, Jeff, about this? The first one is, what do you really believe about life? If you're following along, is life more than this world or is this all there is? Have you ever thought about this? Your view of life and the world matters. If you believe that we're here by accident, if you believe that a lot of things in this world are just chaos, then when these kind of things happen, you're going to find yourself saying, I got to grab for all the gusto because this world is all there is. I got to eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. But if you actually believe what Jesus has been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, that there is a place beyond the grave called heaven where you and I can lay up treasures, that our life does last longer than just here, then we can relax a bit. We don't have to be afraid of missing out. I don't know about you, but the four-letter acronym that's become popular is FOMO. And so many of us are afraid of missing out, and it makes us tense and makes us anxious. I've certainly had to deal with that. And so when you and I have FOMO, it helps to say, what is life? Is it, is it just getting these clothes? Is it just eating this food? Is it just drinking this? Is it getting this, getting that? Not missing this, not missing that. Jesus says, relax. Isn't life more? Isn't there life more than just here? Second is, what do you really believe about your worth? Do you know if you're following along that you matter to God or not? Did you see that in verse 26? He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He says, look, if you want to just think about this with me, I'm just asking you a question. What do you believe about your worth? Look at these words from Luke 12, 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now notice Jesus cares about the sparrows, he says. God cares about the sparrows, but you're worth even more. You have great value. I don't know what you've been taught growing up. I don't know if you've had a bully. I don't know if you've had someone, maybe it was someone in your home that told, us, told you that you didn't have any worth. But do you believe that you matter to God? The good news I want to tell you today what Jesus is saying here is that if you really believe you matter to God, you can start to relax. You can start to understand that he cares about you and that you're not living in a world just made of chaos. You're not living in a world that's just here and now. You're living in a world that's cared for by the Father. Now notice that this uh, has come home uh, to some people in our church. I, I've talked with people about this. 
Uh, I remember one time I was talking with a person who had pasted this phrase in their home. I am a dearly loved child of the Most High God. And the more they let that sink in, the more they found that they could deal with their concerns differently. Notice another thing here is what do you really believe about worry? Does worry lengthen or waste your life? Does worry lengthen or waste your life? Proverbs 12, 25 says worry weighs a person down. And so Jesus asked this incredible question. In fact, it's there on the notes. Do you mind reading it with me? It's in that first gray box. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? It's just almost, he's like playing with us. He's saying, look, how's, how's worry working for you? Is it helping you live longer? You know, you and I will never worry our way into life, but we may worry ourselves into death or into sickness. And so he says, look, is worry something that you actually believe is a responsible way to deal with things? Are you letting your concerns turn into worry? What do you believe about worry? Is it helping you or is it actually wasting your life? Sometimes it just helps me to say, I'm worrying right now. This is really a dumb way to live. And it just helps me to stop and recognize that I don't really believe worry is going to help me in the long run. Next, what do you really believe about God? Is he sovereign or not? What do you really believe about God? Now, this question isn't here in the text, so, so to speak. But what he's asking again and again is, what do you believe about God? Do you believe that he's your heavenly father who is sovereign? What is the definition of sovereign? Uh, put it up here on the screen. Sovereign means possessing supreme or ultimate power, dominion, and authority. In other words, do you actually believe that God is in control? Or do you believe that all these things that are happening are just happening by chance, just happening? And what do you believe? Jesus is probing us. I've noticed at times that I may say all the right church answers, but I've noticed that there's a number of times where I don't, I don't necessarily believe in God's sovereign power. Max Lucado wrote a book called Anxious for Nothing. And in that book, he, he gives this illustration that I found helpful. Think of it this way. Suppose your dad is the world's foremost orthopedic surgeon. People travel from distant countries for him to treat them. Regularly, he exchanges damaged joints for healthy ones. With the same confidence that a mechanic changes spark plugs, your dad removes and replaces hips, knees, and shoulders. At 10 years of age, you're a bit young to comprehend the accomplishments of a renowned surgeon. But you're not too young to stumble down the stairs and twist your ankle. You roll and writhe on the floor and scream for help. You are weeks away from your first school dance. This is no time for crutches, no time for limping. You need a healthy ankle. Yours is anything but. Into the room walks your dad, still wearing his surgical scrubs. He removes your shoe, peels back your sock, and examines the injury. You groan at the sight of a tennis ball-sized bump. Adolescent anxiety kicks in. Dad, I'll never walk again. Yes, you will. No one can help me. I can. No one knows what to do. I do. No, you don't. Your dad lifts his head and asks you a question. Do you know what I do for a living? Actually, you don't. You know he goes to the hospital every day. You know that people call him doctor. Your mom thinks he's smart, but you don't really know what your father does. So he says as he places a bag of ice on your ankle, 
It's time for you to learn. The next day, he's waiting for you in the school parking lot after classes. Hop in. I want you to see what I do, he says. He drives you to his hospital office and shows you the constellation of diplomas on his wall. Adjacent to them is a collection of awards that include words like distinguished and honorable. He hands you a manual of orthopedic surgery that bears his name. You wrote this? I did. His cell phone rings. After the call, he announces, we're off to surgery. You scrub up and follow him into the operating room on your crutches. During the next few minutes, you have a ringside seat for a procedure in which he reconstructs an ankle. He is the commandant of the operating room. He never hesitates or seeks advice. He just does it. One of the nurses whispers, your dad is the best. As the two of you ride home that evening, you look at your father. You see him in a different light. If he can conduct orthopedic surgery, he can likely treat a swollen ankle. So you ask, you think I'll be okay for the dance? Yes, you'll be fine. And this time, you believe him. Your anxiety decreases as your understanding of your father increases. What do you really believe about God? Notice one last question. What do you really believe about your source of supply? This one I've had to come back to again and again. What do I really believe? Do I really believe that I'm the one that's responsible for everything? Here's the question if you're following along. Is it your father or you, Jesus is saying. What do you believe is your source of supply? Look at the birds. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at how God takes care of them. Are you your source of supply or is it really your heavenly father? You know, Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18 has brought me back to center line so many times. This is what he says. Look at these words. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. He's the one that gives us the ability to make money. Years ago, we used to try and teach our kids a lesson on this. We used to say, hey, kids, why do we pray before meals? And the kids would say, well, because it's the right thing to do. I said, no, actually, we're actually trying to remember where this food came from. And uh, so where does this food come from? They said, well, mom went to the grocery store and bought it. And uh, we say, okay, well, where did mom get the money to buy the food at the grocery store? Well, the people at the church, you know, helped make it possible for you to have your salary. Well, where did the people at the church get their money? Well, their employers gave them money. Where did their employers get it? And we used to have them trace it all the way back until they remember that ultimately, it came from the loving hand of God. And there are times when your supply may be dwindling. You may be wondering, how in the world am I going to handle this? Is it completely up to me? I, some of you may say, you know, I've worked really hard. That's how come I have what I have. But I've watched people work just as hard and they don't necessarily have what you have. How do you explain that? God is the one that provides. And Jesus is saying to us, as he taught us in the Lord's Prayer, Give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because we're dependent upon you. You're our ultimate source of supply. So what do you believe about life? Do you believe that life is more than just this world? What do you believe about your worth? Do you believe you matter to God? What do you believe about worry? Is it going to help you or is it going to waste your life? What do you believe about God? Is he really not only sovereign, but is he sovereign in your life? Is he the most important person to you? And then also, what do you believe about your source of supply. 
when I've started thinking about these questions, it's really helped me over the years. And so as I think about these questions, as Jesus probes, as he just says, look, look, think about this, think it through, reason this out, because if this is true, then you can look at life differently. And so let me just talk to you in closing about letting God transform our worries. I have several things that I've been learning about this, and I want to tell a story about what God's had to teach me. And it won't be the last time God has to teach me about how he wants to transform my worries. But how does he want to transform our worries? First, here's what I, I'm learning. Name them out and turn them into prayer if you're following along. Name them out and turn them into prayer. <laughs> Every once in a while, I just need to recognize when I'm all uptight, when I'm breathing differently, and when I'm nervous, by the way, my wife loves that line from You've Got Mail from years ago, where Tom Hanks says to his then girlfriend, you make coffee nervous. My wife has often told me that's what I'm like when I'm anxious, when I'm uptight. In fact, I remember my family does not enjoy being around me when I'm nervous or uptight. But what I need to do when all of a sudden I become aware is just to name it. Lord, I have shifted from concern into worry. Show me how to, to turn to you. And so I've had a lot of chance to practice these last few weeks. I don't know about you, but when I get into situations like this COVID situation, I become a problem solver almost immediately. Okay, what do we need to do? How do we get this done? And it's so easy to get running really fast that I need to actually learn how to say, oh, wait a second. The only way I'm going to see this concern not become a worry is if I name it and call it what it is and begin to pray. Years ago, Proverbs 3, 6 really came home to me. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And so I began to try and do that. Pastor Steve said that this has been a transforming passage in his life because although he tends to worry, he said he learned that the time between how much he worries and how much he begins to pray about it has actually changed over the years. And maybe that can happen for you as well. There's a famous passage on anxiety in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We have it here on the screen. Don't worry about anything. And again, it means don't keep worrying about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done then you will experience God's peace, that word I've been looking for, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Notice this, that as you and I, instead of just continuing to worry, begin to name it, what can happen is it can go from working terrible stuff inside us, and by naming it, we get it outside us, and now God's grace can begin to shine on it. The second thing that I'm learning is that letting God transform my worries or our worries means not only to name them out and turn them into prayer, but it also second means to think them out and entrust them into his care. To think them out and entrust them into his care. What do I mean? A lot of times people think that the Christian life, we pretty much deny reality. We just close our eyes and hope it all works out. And it doesn't involve thinking. But actually what Jesus is doing throughout these 10 verses is he's getting us to think. He's, he's reasoning. He's being logical. He's saying, look, if this is true, if God is able to take care 
of the birds and the lilies of the field, if he's able to do those things, if he's able to work and he is your heavenly father who cares for you and you matter, then, then if you really believe that, it can begin to help you. So you need to think it out. And a lot of times we don't think things out. I don't know about you, but what I often do is if I have a what if that I'm afraid about, I just, I just hope it goes away. But instead, what I'm learning and I have been learning is that the Lord wants us to actually play it out, to think it out all the way to its logical conclusion. Let me give you a couple examples. Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, he was filled with, he, he was troubled in his spirit. He was concerned. He didn't worry, but he was troubled. And what did he do? He poured it out to his father. But notice what he did. And the word if is important here. He said, if it's possible that this cup may not be one I have to drink, would you take it from me? If that's possible. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Notice what he's doing. He's thinking it through, but he's also pouring his heart out to the father. He's playing it out. He's going, look, I know I'm going to probably have to drink this cup. And if I could, I'd like to avoid it. If there's any other way to save the human race, I'd be interested. But instead, he comes to the place where he says, if that's my what if, then I want to say, even if that were to happen, I want your will, your way, God. There's another example in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're about to be thrown in the fire because they didn't bow to, again, the king's idol. And when they wouldn't bow down, he told them he was going to throw them in the fiery furnace. And they say these words, they basically say, look, we don't have to defend ourselves. We believe that God can deliver us from this fiery furnace. But notice these words, but even if he does not, we will not bow. They really were able to think it out and say, we believe that even if that happens, God's going to help us. Now, years ago, when I first came to Cherry Hills, I was a youth pastor in, in the mid-1980s. And uh, Trish and I bought our first house here in Springfield. And I remember the first month or two, something happened I've never forgotten. I started to have runaway fear. I'd been reading something in the newspaper of some crimes that had happened or whatever. And I just began to be afraid every night when it turned dark that someone was going to break into our house or someone was going to try and harm me or Trish. And I just started having runaway fear. So I remember thinking to myself, okay, I just need to pray. I need to pray. But I noticed that no matter how much I prayed, my fear, my anxiety, my worry wouldn't go away. Now, you would have loved this. Almost every night for about two or three weeks, I'd go out into the living room and I'd pull the curtains back and I'd stare out the window to see if anybody was there. I, I was like a crazy person. I was doing this 20 or 25 times a night. And worse yet, I was actually not getting sleep. So now I was getting into a sleep deprivation cycle. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? I'm praying. I'm a youth pastor for crying out loud. And then what I noticed is I started worrying about the fact that I was worrying. What God began to teach me one night as I lay there in bed, he allowed this thought to go across the ticker of my mind. Jeff, even if I were allow, to allow that worst thing that you fear to happen, do you believe that you could still trust me that I would meet you in that time? How that thought scared me. And I didn't want to think that out, but I knew God was asking me to think it out. What did I really believe about God? What did I believe if that actually happened? What did I need to know? 
And that night, I remember thinking, I've got to get to the place where instead of trying to control the outcome, trying to control God, because God said, I'm not going to promise you that I always will prevent you those things from happening. Will you still trust me even if? Well, it took me a few days to get to the place where I really meant it. But when I was finally able to say, even if that happens, God, I believe you'll still be there to meet me. And so when I prayed that way, I remember that night for the first time in weeks, I slept like a baby. I was able to know peace. Why? Because what I was trying to control God and get him to do, I needed to let him finally let his control work in my life. And I needed that thing that I was so valuing to be put in second place instead of first place. One more thing here that I want to mention next is not only name them out, play them out, but thank them out. Thank them out and look for how he provides. Look for how he provides. Did you notice what Jesus said here? He says, look at the you know, birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. Think about them. Notice they don't necessarily work real hard, but notice they're just living in a way where they're not anxious or uptight. Why? Because your father, your father cares for them and he cares for you. One of the things that's helped me from time to time is not only to put on worship music that helps me remember how God has been faithful, but also there's just times when I just remember, hey, you helped me with that situation in the past or you helped my friend, you're going to help me. Sometimes we just be able to come to the place where we can remember and thank him. Uh, this past week, I was out walking and I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I don't always do what Jesus recommends doing, but I decided to look for little flowers around me that would remind me. And so as I was walking on the sidewalk, I came across these beautiful flowers and uh, I just took a picture of them to remind me that those little flowers are only going to last for a short period of time. But if God so clothes them, which today they're here and tomorrow they're thrown into the oven, will he not care for me, care for my concerns? I can trust him. The last thing is not only name them out, play them out, thank them out, but notice what he says in verse 33. Would you read that with me in the second gray box? Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, then all your other needs will be met as well. So this last thing here is seek him first and trust him one day at a time. Because I've walked alongside a number of people that have gone through really difficult things in our church family, I've been able to learn some of the things they've taught me. And I remember one time a lady who was by her husband's bedside said, you know, I'm learning more and more how I need to take one day at a time. And then she said, in fact, some days I'm learning how to take one hour at a time. And she said, and some days I'm learning how to just take one moment at a time. Do you realize that that's sometimes what we do is we try and get ahead of ourselves. And instead of just living this day, notice what Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own. Just do one day at a time. He's saying, make sure you're not taking too big of a bite, but also make sure you're seeking him first, letting him be most important. And that's the challenge every day, isn't it? to make him first. And so as I think about this in closing, let me just share with you a story that's helped me again and again. It's about Corey Tenboom. And Corey Tenboom 
was put in a concentration camp because her and her family uh, hid Jews during the Nazi occupation in Holland. And so as she was thinking about how she was able to deal with that difficult, difficult time in her life, she remembered back to a story that her father told her. And the story came at a time when she was very afraid and full of worry. They had gone to a neighbor's house because one of the family members had died. And for the first time in her little life as a girl, she realized that she could actually die. Her parents could actually die, that some hard things in life could happen. So she was terribly afraid and she went home and got in bed with her sister Nolly that night, waiting for their father to come home. And she tells it this way. Still shivering with that cold, I followed Nolly up to our room and crept into bed beside her. At last we heard our father's footsteps winding up the stairs. It was the best moment in every day when he came up to tuck us in. We never fell asleep until he had arranged the blankets in his special way and laid his hand for a moment on each head. Then we tried not to move even a toe. But that night, as he stepped through the door, I burst into tears. I need you, I sobbed. You can't die. You can't. Beside me on the bed, Nolly sat up. We went to see our neighbor, she explained. Corey didn't eat her supper or anything. Father sat down on the edge of the narrow bed. Corey, he began gently, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? I sniffed a few times considering this. Why, just before we get on the train. Exactly, he said. And our wise father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him, Corey. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. Jesus reasons with us in this passage about worrying. He doesn't just say, don't worry. He says, the reason why you don't need to worry is because you have a heavenly father that wants a relationship with you so badly that he moved heaven and earth for his son to come to earth and give his life in your place so that you could be made right with me and you could know my provision. Let me just pray for you as we think about this coming week and how we're going to face it, either with concern or worry. Now, Lord, would you show us how to continue trusting in you? Thank you for asking us questions. Thank you for reasoning with us where we really can believe that we live in a world that you care and you're at work and help us that our anxiety will decrease as our knowledge and understanding of you, our Heavenly Father, increases. Thank you so much that we don't need to keep worrying if we'll look to you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.